Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Awesome. Hey, I'm really excited to be here this evening. And this text that we're going to be exploring this evening is is incredible. It, it shows a wonderful story. Um, it, it helps us understand what God wants for us as humanity. If you could do me a favor and grab your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to be in the first section of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel is considered one of the later prophets, so it's going to be after Psalms, after Proverbs, after Isaiah. As you're looking down your list, as you're trying to flip there, you're looking for a big 37, that's chapter 37. Looking for a little number one, we're going to be in verse one. The last couple of, of, of times we've been together, we, we spoke of creation. Um, what a wonderful story of God just being who he is and, 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 and being before everything and then suddenly forming us. The idea that God crafted me like a potter might craft a piece of pottery or an artisan would craft a piece of artwork is just, it's, it's, it's soothing and comforting to my soul because I know that no matter what the enemy whispers in my ear, I am beautifully and wonderfully made. And then the problem with that was, is as beautiful and as wonderfully as we were made and as much as we were provided for, a serpent entered the garden and created an atmosphere in which for some reason we thought that rebellion was the better option. And don't get me wrong, it was 100% Eve's fault. The blame lies entirely with Eve and Adam, her husband. It's her fault. We can't excuse it because someone tempted her. We can't excuse it because his wife offered it to him. It's their fault. Sin entered the world. And that sin stole the intimacy that we had and left us dead in our trespasses and sin. Totally dead. But we know that Jesus restores. We know that he died for us. And we know that he has a plan for us. We know that he loves us enough to die for us despite knowing that we are sinners, wretched and dead. A couple of years ago, um, I had this uh, opportunity. Uh, I'm really passionate about camp ministry because um, it was, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and my dad was a pastor and eventually a missionary. And like I was, I was from a, like a church home, man. Like I wasn't even allowed to listen to secular music. Right, like I, like my my, like really really good superhero TV for me was Bible Man. Okay, like it was brutal. All right, actually I just showed my son that because the whole like armor of God sequence is like so corny. It's just so bad. Um, but that's kind of where I grew up, and and I was in this place. I remember vividly accepting Christ. I remember vividly accepting Christ. I remember I was wearing, I was wearing like black sweatpants with, with like purple stripes down the side because it was the 90s. And, and I remember getting on my hands and knees in my little playroom that my parents had kind of organized 
in the corner of my house at three or four years old. I remember getting on my hands and being like, God, I want you in my heart. That's what I prayed. It, like, I remember it vividly. So it wasn't a salvation issue. It was a choices issue. It was a discipleship issue. It was a sanctification issue. I came to a point in my life. I was in 10th grade. I just moved back to America from Australia. Massive disappointment, by the way. High school is nothing like it is on the Disney Channel here. And, 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 and I was finding my identity in all of these things that didn't matter. And then I, and then I rem again, remember vividly sitting where I was sitting with my friends after a week of camp and the worship team's doing their thing. And, and I just remember like, wow, this is the power of the almighty God. And I remember his heart calling to mine and saying like, like, follow me. So I said, God, I'm going to follow, like, I am going to follow you. And some of you in here might remember from that era of camp, like the, the, the early aughts that it was like super popular for, um, and maybe you don't know because you didn't experience it, but it was super popular, popular in my circle where at, on Thursday night, they would call people forward for salvation and then they would call people forward for, for Christian service. And people would commit to so many years of Christian service. And like people were like, like oh, I, I got to go up there, but I don't want to overcommit. So like two years or four years. And I remember sitting in my seat, not feeling the need to go up there, but saying to God, like, no, I, like, me and you, we, we're going to be a duo for the rest of my life. I immediately went outside and broke up with my girlfriend. I don't know why I felt like I needed to do that, but she was crazy anyway, so it worked out. So we did that. And I, actually, I remember I walked outside and I'm walking around and, and I ended up in the, and it's dark outside because it's nighttime. I, I walked through this giant mud puddle. So I'm like, oh, this feels squelchy. And I went back inside and, and like, I, I got mud all over the gym floor. <laughs> so camp is special to me because of the experience I had there. I remember coming to a, a better faith in Christ because of camp. So oftentimes, um, when I have a high schooler that is starting to graduate and, and, and there's someone that, that, that really wants to serve the Lord, or maybe they need an opportunity to serve the Lord outside of their context, I often push them to camp. I pushed three of these students to camp, and they were going to camp, but like there was a big rub. And the rub was, they had to get to Ohio, and we lived in Philadelphia. So I thought to myself, this is no big deal. I'm going to drive them to Ohio. I, the car I had at the time got like 45 miles per gallon, so it was going to cost me like, you know, Less than a tank of gas to get from Pennsylvania to Ohio and back. So it was like no big deal. So we go. Rub number two. They don't get brought back to Ohio even. They get brought back to Boston on the day of like a really important event at our church that I have to be at. Wow. So I cash in some credit card points and I get a flight and it was really cool because the way it all worked out, I ended up in first class, which is not glamorous when it's a two hour flight, but I did. And, and I went and I was kind of like excited. I was going to travel in style a little bit. You know, I was going to like, you know, live my best life a little bit pinky in the air on the airplane. You know what I'm saying? It was gonna be awesome. And I was really looking forward to this adventure of going to Boston, picking everybody up and driving home in six hours. It was going to be so much fun. But the night before I was supposed to leave, I got my chargers ready and I got my bag packed and like, you know, I'm like ready to, to fly and it's gonna be really cool. And um, I just think the airport experience is really fun. So I get ready to go and, and I, I, 
I grabbed my phone to check the time before going to bed and realized my phone's off. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. It's been on the charger all afternoon. I turn it back on and then it gets to the welcome screen and I go to like, you know, unlock my phone and it shuts off again. You know, that's really weird. So I hold down the power button and then that didn't work. And then I'm doing like power button, volume button, and that didn't really work. And I did like power button, volume button, prayer, and that didn't work either. And, and then I plugged it into the wall and that didn't work. And I'm like sitting there freaking out. And my problem is, is, and I don't know if it's just because of how God made me or my fallen state or what, but I get really obsessive about stuff when they don't work the way it's supposed to. One time we were packing the house and my espresso machine broke. And we were supposed to move in two days and we're packing the house. So instead of doing the rational thing and driving up the road to get a cup of coffee, my wife comes out of the shower to see my espresso machine completely disassembled across the countertop. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I need coffee. So I'm really obsessive about my phone and I'm trying to get it to turn on. It's not turning on and I'm freaking out. Turns out I had a defective phone. It was broken from the factory. Google, it was a Pixel. Google put out a thing and they said, hey, like a certain number of Google Pixel 3 XLs, they just, they're bad from the factory and there's nothing we can do about it. You need to send it back in. It was so dead, it needed the manufacturer to intervene. I want you guys to stand with me. We're going to read Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. I'm going to pray and we're going to get after it. I'm so excited about tonight. So let's get right into it. Chapter 37, verse 1 of Ezekiel says this. The hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel talking. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. And as I, as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord 
when I open your graves and you and rise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. You guys can be seated. Let's go before our Lord God in prayer. God, I pray that your power come into this place this evening. Lord, I I come before you humbly, overwhelmed with your word. God, I, I, I pray that you would empty this room of distraction. God, I pray that you would come into this place and give us ears to hear. God, give us soft hearts to understand. God, I pray that you would give us laser focus this evening. God, make my words yours. Empty me of myself. God, take every thought captive. Lord, we need you so much. God, I pray that you would help us understand better that you want to restore us this evening. Oh God, it is not through any power but yours. It's not through my power but yours. It's not through our youth leader's power but yours. Thank you, God. In your name we pray, amen. So if you take a look at this text, what we see here is something crazy. In the beginning, he says, the hand of the Lord is upon me and he brought me out in the spirit, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. I wanna be very clear here because I don't want us to get confused. The beginning of this passage tells us something very specific. It tells us that God caused a vision to come upon Ezekiel. The language here is very clear. Ezekiel did not physically in his humanity walk into a valley that was full of dry bones. Ezekiel saw something, which means that this is a vision for the people of Israel. This is a vision of what is to come. And the first thing that we see that God does with Ezekiel, with God over top of Ezekiel, was Ezekiel was planted. Ezekiel was planted into a valley of death. He was placed right in a valley of death. And what I find interesting was, is that if you look at the Hebrew language here, it doesn't show that he was brought into a valley of death. It doesn't show that he was pointed towards a valley of death. It's almost similar language, like God led him there and caused him to be planted so that he could focus. This was important. God didn't want him to miss any part of this. He was placed into a valley of death. This is symbolism for Israel at the time. You see, as this was happening, Israel was in exile. Israel used to inhabit the promised land. They had a king who was super mediocre. He was super full of sin. And he wasn't even on the throne for a year before the sin of Israel and the king caused God to allow the Babylonian empire to take over Israel and remove a large portion of its inhabitants into exile into Babylonia. That's something that you and I have never experienced and by God's grace, we will never experience. Think about this for a second. You're at school, you're doing your thing, you're at RVR, we're chilling, we're gonna go play dodgeball tonight. 
army walks in, you see a large majority of your friends either taken or killed, and then you're put on a wagon to whatever country just came in here. Brutal. We don't know what that's like. And that's what happened to Israel. Their sin caused this. So when, when, when Ezekiel is looking at this valley of dry bones, this valley that was saturated with death, he is able to see that these bones represent the people of Israel who are dead in their trespasses and sin, and they are scattered amongst Babylonia and not together as a nation, and they are hopeless. Sin unchecked causes valleys of death and hopelessness. RVR, I love you guys. And I am here and out of a concern for, for, for you and not as, as a guy that has it all figured out because I don't. But when I read this and I see that sin causes these things and sin causes destruction and sin causes death, I can't help but feel a responsibility to then say this. We need to, as a body of God, check our sin. Like we need to take a moment and look inward and make sure we're good with God. And if we're not, we need to take a moment to have a conversation with our creator and repent from the sin that it is that we've been living with. And here's the thing. Scripture's really clear. Repentance is good for the soul. But you know what the enemy likes to do? The enemy likes to convince you that all you need to do is just stop. Like, just stop, bro. Just don't do that anymore. You're good. Meanwhile, what he's not telling you when you're convincing yourself that you can just stop without telling anybody or even telling God, what he's not telling you is as soon as you get home and you're alone for a few minutes, he's going to whisper in your ear, I know you said you were going to stop. But just one more time is not going to hurt. And you're left in a position where you feel like doing it again is going to be good for you. Sin left unchecked causes valleys of death and hopelessness. If you look at verse 2 specifically, what you see is a complete lack of hope. And he led me around among them. Ezekiel had to be very careful because he was a prophet. He was a priest. He was not allowed to touch a dead thing. It would have made him unclean. God guided him through the dead bones so that he wouldn't touch them, but be able to understand fully what it was that he was walking through. And then it says that the bones were very dry. What's interesting about the, 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 the culture of Israel at the time is that death is completely hopeless. You know, I think it's interesting for us because in the 21st century, we have seen and know stories of people being fully dead and then them getting their hearts shocked back and then they come back. Or people being dead. Like there's stories all the time of people getting in a car accident and being medically dead for like a half hour and then all of a sudden like 
They walk past the cafeteria in the, in, the, in the hospital and smell good pizza and wake up and they're hungry. Like that happens all the time. So when, so almost when, when, we, when we see death and even when we see it on TV, we're left with this small sliver of hope. Like, no, the writer's gonna bring him back. But <laughs> the Israelites didn't have that. When you were dead, you were just super dead. There was no coming back from that. And they weren't just dead. The bones were dry, which means they'd been left out in the sun to be scorched by the wind and the rays of the sun. They were bleached white like Texas in the middle of nowhere bones. In this valley, there was no hope apart from God. Death was insurmountable. Those bones were dry. They had been there for a while. There was almost no hope, but because God was there, there was hope. Here's the thing. The bones were still there. We, and then God did something good with those bones, by the way. We can find hope in God. We can. The existence of those bones meant that while it didn't seem like there was any hope to Ezekiel, God knew that there was hope and he was going to provide Ezekiel with hope because he was going to show Ezekiel what he could do with those bones. God is able to restore anything he wants. So if you're sitting in your seat tonight... And you're like, Tim, I don't think you understand. I am unrestorable. Tim, I don't think you understand. My bones are dry and scattered. Tim, I don't think you understand. There is no hope for me. My only response to you is, won't you let me tell you about my Jesus? Because he can restore anything that he wants to. The mere fact that you're here means there's still hope. Because those bones were still in the valley and God still brought them back to life. No matter how dry, no matter how sun scorched, no matter how left in the dirt they were, he still caused them to come together and breathe life into them. We can find hope in God. God spoke through Ezekiel and these bones came back. And you know what's the crazy part about this? I'm really almost like obsessive when it comes to putting back, things back to, together the way that, that they were. Like it's, like it's like a thing I have. So when something is broken around me and I know that there's a fix, but I know that that fix won't bring it back to 100% the way it was before it was broken, I almost still want to throw the whole thing away. And some of us are worried that we're going to be restored, but we're not going to like what we were restored to. We're not, we're like, like, yeah, okay, God's going to restore me, but this, but this thing that I like over here isn't going to be a part of me anymore, or, or maybe my friends won't like me anymore, or I don't know, some other thing. But what's crazy is, is that when Ezekiel did this, God made sure to point out to him that when things were put back, they were put back correctly. Look at the text. Look at the text. This is crazy. It says, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came back together bone to bone. The bones went back where they were supposed to go. That's crazy. God loves us so much that he wants us to be put back together. 
And he doesn't just want to put us back together like your frustrated youth pastor trying to build Ikea furniture for the youth building at one o'clock in the morning. He wants to put us back together correctly, the right way, meticulously. Recently on YouTube, it's been really popular to, for, for mechanics to take uh, YouTube shorts of them doing regular interval services on high-end European sports cars because they get out the, the towels and the thing and then, and then, the, and then the, the protector and they're wearing gloves and they don't make a mess and it's like aesthetically pleasing to watch this guy do a $500 oil change on a, on a Mercedes. Like people are really into watching that. And you can't help but think like, wow, this guy's being super meticulous. That's how God puts us back together when he restores us. Taking care that every piece goes back where it should go, not leaving anything undone, not forgetting the guy in the front's left finger, not forgetting your little toe, not forgetting that little sin that you've even forgotten to confess, not forgetting that hurt that you have been caused, not forgetting that secret you haven't told that you don't even remember keeping. God goes in and restores everything perfectly, correctly, the way that it should be. As you continue to look at the text, what you see is, is that God restored both physically, their bones were brought back together, sinews or tendons were put on them so that they were held together as one piece. They were broken and exploded and brought back together with sinews. And then he gave them flesh. Flesh is an appearance of health. Having a good amount of flesh means that you're eating well. That's why an Italian grandmother gets mad at you if you're not a little bit overweight because you've not been eating enough. Let me get you some sauce. That's a thing. Flesh is an appearance of health. Skin is an appearance of it being done almost. Like this is a complete job. All your bones are back. Your tendons are where they should be. You have flesh. You are healthy. Here is skin. But God doesn't stop there because now you just have a pile of bodies that have been put back together correctly. We see these bones go from dry to a great army. And the, the transition between bones being dry and being a part of bodies to a great army standing up on their feet almost in pride at what God has done, the transition is that they got their breath back. They were restored physically and brought back together. And they were able to stand to their feet as what is described as a great army because they got, watch this, their breath back. Do you remember that breath that God gave us in Genesis chapter 2? This intimate breath that he breathed into our nostrils so that we could fill our lungs with breath and life? That was stolen from us because we decided that sin was better for us than intimacy with our creator. That breath that was taken from us that we willingly gave up, mind you, was then willfully and freely given back to those who were dead. They stood on their feet, confident. If I had to summarize verses 1 through verses 10, what we see is a valley saturated with death come back to life solely because of the power of God. We 
We see brokenness restored to wholeness solely because of the power of God. We see sorrow and hopelessness intervened on by the power of God. My my ask of you is this. Run to the Lord, all you who are broken. Run to him. It's scary to do it. It feels uncomfortable because it's something you probably haven't done in a while or maybe something you haven't done at all. It's a new thing. New things can be really uncomfortable. But run to him when you're broken. Some of us in this room get frustrated at the adults in our lives because we see them get hurt or we see them get sick. And in the back of our mind, we're like, wouldn't you just please, for the love of all this holy, go to the doctor? You have health insurance. Just go. And we get frustrated with them. Our grandparents who just refuse to go to the doctor for whatever reason... And they're like coughing so hard they can't breathe. It's just like, Pappy, go to the doctor, please. And we get frustrated in our spirit. And yet when we're broken and someone invites us to church, we say no, like it's some kind of moral high ground. Like, no, I got this. What are we thinking? We're broken in our spirit and we refuse to go to the only one who can fix us. Fix us correctly. Fix us holy. Give us breath back in our lungs. Give us purpose. Some of us don't feel like we have any purpose in this life tonight, and the purpose is right here. It's right here in this text. Verses 11 through 14 of this passage explains this vision of Ezekiel. God tells Ezekiel why he just saw what he saw. And what he says to him in summary is is that he wanted to bring life back to the nation of Israel after their sin. God was saying to Ezekiel, I see the plight of your people, my people. I see the Israelites scattered all throughout Babylonia. I see that they have no hope. I see that they are not together. I see that they are a disaster. I see that they are broken and dead in their trespasses and sins. And I see that they need help and they need resurrection. And Ezekiel, I promise you that I'm going to bring them back together and put them back in Israel and I'm going to restore them through my power. That's what God is saying to Ezekiel. God said, Ezekiel, this is what you saw and this is why you saw it. And while this passage is specifically pointed to the Israelites, it gives us a wonderful picture of what God wants to do for us, the Gentiles, with Jesus. Gives us a wonderful example of that. If you look at Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, the dry bones, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Man. That text tells us that when we accept Christ, our old self is moved 
away and it is no longer applicable and we get a new self that God gives us and we are free from sin. Not that we won't ever sin again, but we are given the power to say no to sin. And what's crazy is, is that God's not saying that from a position of no authority. God is saying that from a position of, of I've already done it. It's done been handled. Run to the Lord, all you who are broken. Here's the deal. Here's the big truth that I want you to take home tonight. Sin brings death to all, but there is restoration and new life in Christ. That's the reality in which we live. That's where we are. I don't want any of you to miss this. So if you have not listened to me yet, that's cool. We're still best friends. If you've been distracted all night, I love that for you. We're still going to hang out later and dodgeball's coming and it is going to be like the best night of your entire life probably. I love that for you, but I need you to hone in and I need you to focus on this because this is the most important part of the weekend and maybe this is going to set a trajectory for you for the rest of your life. I don't know, but, but, but like my, this is this, this, this has been weighing on my heart since I put pen to paper. If you are in this room and you have accepted Christ and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if we were all to die this evening, you are going to be in heaven. And I'm not talking about feeling like it because often we don't feel saved. I'm talking about we know we're saved because we have said in our heart, God, you are Lord, and we've confessed that with our mouth as well. I'm talking about you have accepted Christ and you've been redeemed. My question for you is, is what is stopping you from acting like you have been redeemed? Some of you allow Satan to get into your ear and whisper things that are just not true. You're trying to serve the Lord in your church and you're trying to be discipled by your youth pastor, but then you leave the building and in that little weird secret space where yourself talks to yourself, you hear that small incriminating voice just whisper, that's great, but you're still addicted to pornography and it ruins you. Or that's great, but you still don't truly know who you are. When do you think your youth pastor's gonna find that out? He'll probably kick you out of the youth ministry. Or that little incorrect lying voice from the father of lies that says you're worth nothing. And the problem is, is that we are the redeemed of the Lord. And instead of saying so, we go, you're right, Satan. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I won't serve again. And if we don't say it with our mouth, we'll say it with our actions. And we allow so many things to fill our plate that we don't even have time for Jesus anymore. Tell the enemy that you are redeemed. When you hear that little voice, you can tell him, I'm so sorry you think that, but I'm a chosen child of the Most High God, and you can get somewhere with that. I am redeemed. I've been set apart. I am a new creature.
creation in Christ. When you hear that little voice in your head telling you to look at that or to do that or to go there or to be here, you can say, I'm so sorry, but I am a new creation in Christ. And this new creation doesn't do what that old creation used to. If you are the redeemed of the Lord, say so and say it to the enemy when he tempts you. Act like it with confidence on your feet because you've been refilled with the breath of life. There's another group of people in this room and to you, I would like to say something very different, but along the same vein, my question to you is, is are you in here this evening and are you dead? I believe in the authority of scripture and I believe in the authority of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And I believe it is with that authority and in his name that, that I can say to you in here this evening, whom I love even if I've never met you, if you are dead, I believe I can say this. And that's come alive this evening. Trust Christ. Believe in your heart that he is Lord. I said to my four-year-old when he said, how do I accept Jesus? What does that even mean? We said to him, well, you have to tell Jesus he's the boss. So tell him he's the boss. My like 35-year-old best friend, that's how he accepted Christ. He got so frustrated with life, he got on his hands and knees in his bedroom, closed the door and said, okay, God, you're the boss. Believe in your heart that that's true and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and scripture says you will be saved. Right now, if you are dead, you are dead because of your sin. You're dead because of your trespasses. You are dead because of the cosmic treason that you have committed against an almighty holy God. And that's just reality. And I was there too. And I still mess up all the time. Like Paul said, I am the chiefest of sinners. I'm not saying this because I haven't figured out. I'm saying it because God came to me and helped me be restored. And all I want is that for you. Come alive. Humbly come before Christ as a broken and scattered person and allow him to bring you together so that you can be restored. If you're dead in the room, you know who you are. Go to your leader and have him or her walk you through it. Quickly as we wrap up with every eye closed and every head bowed, really quick, I'm gonna give you guys 30 seconds because I've already gone way over time. This is your opportunity. Don't make it weird, respect this. If you feel like you are dead and you need to come to life, I need you to find your leader and you need to make eye contact with them real quick. One, two, three, go, do it, be brave, be bold, be ready to come alive. Be brave, be bold, be ready to come alive. And if you're in this room and you need some encouragement, with every other eye bowed and closed and everyone giving each other privacy, if you need some encouragement, can you just look up here real quick? If you need encouragement, you're like, I know I'm alive, but I don't feel it. Hey, y'all need to go to your, I would love to talk with you, but I don't do life with you, your leaders do. Y'all need to talk to your leader before you go home this weekend, okay? Can you do that? Can you be honest with your leader? Can you do that for me? Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and how much you love us. God, thank you for your, your word. And thank you for the reality that you have saved us and that we are redeemed. Oh, Lord, you are good and your mercy goes forever. God, I pray 
I pray that we get to hear stories of the dead coming to life tonight. And God, I pray that you would give everybody in here that knows you the courage to act like they know you so they can begin to change the world for you. Lord, we are desperate for you and it's only in your name we do this. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.